Wonderful. All right. God's good. Praise the Lord. All right. Are you with me now? Galatians chapter number 5 tonight. And I'll read some verses here. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and then the word for tonight, the word faith. Hang on for just a minute. Let's see what that means. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Thank you for the good testimonies. Lord, it is good to be saved. And it does get better. Further and further we get into it. Thank you, Lord, that it just gets better and better. And as it was said, Lord, it is what we make out of it. If we want to be close to God, we can. And if we just want to be one of those perimeter Christians and just hang around on the edge, we can do that as well. But we're not going to enjoy what you have for us until we dedicate ourselves and do, uh, do our best to honor and please you in our life. So I pray that you'd bless the message tonight and just speak to us now. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for a church. Thank you for good music, good singing. I pray you'd bless the Word now. Use it to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the past several weeks, I guess months now, we've been making our way through another one of those lists that are found in our Bible. You know, oftentimes, as you read through the Bible, you come across these lists that are given to us in the Bible from time to time, and every list that we have in the Bible is not without its significance. In fact, let me show you a list in the Bible of who all is not going to be in heaven. I mean, God even just narrows it down and says, okay, this crowd is not going to be in heaven, and he gives us a list. And it goes like this, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, be not deceived. And then he goes off on this list. And he says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. He goes on to say, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a list now of all the people that are not going to be in heaven. Now, in case you're worried about that because you met yourself in that list, maybe one of those words sums up what your life used to be. I'm glad the next verse says like this. It says this, And such were some of you. Aren't you glad they sang about it a moment ago? He made a change in the way you're walking. He made a change in the way you're talking. All things passed away. All things become new. And he goes on to say, and such were some of you, but aren't you glad for this? You're washed. You say, what's that mean? Washed in the blood of Jesus. You're sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, that's what we used to be. That's not what we are no more. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified. We've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. We're brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. Well, we're talking about some of these lists that are found in the Bible. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, we have two more of these lists that are given to us in the Bible. And, of course, we know from this text tonight, one of the things about every Christian is the fact that a Christian is a person who has a dual nature. You know, actually, when we become God's child, we become a dual citizen. We have a citizenship here on this earth, but we also have a citizenship up in heaven. We are citizens of two worlds. We have dual citizenship. My first birth made me a citizen of the United States of America. 
But on March the 24th, 1979, as a 16-year-old teenager, I got born again, and when I got born again, I become a citizen of another world. That's what Paul said, or meant when he said this right here in Philippians 3, verse 20, for our conversation, that word conversation simply means our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a citizen of two worlds. Oh yeah, I'm a citizen of this country. And by the way, with all the problems that our nation has got, I still thank God that I'm a citizen of this country. You know, I heard the gospel because I lived in America. I, I wasn't born in some place where they feed their young uns to crocodiles trying to appease the spirits of evil gods. I'm glad I got born in America where I could hear the gospel and then I got born again and when I got born again, I become a citizen of heaven. Amen. A Christian is somebody with a dual citizenship, but we also have a dual nature as well. You know, by my first birth, I inherited a sinful nature. I got that from my mama and from my daddy. I got a fleshly nature. But you know, when I got born again, I got a spiritual nature. I mean, I, I become a partaker of God's divine nature. And now I have a spiritual nature. One of the greatest definitions that I ever read of what a Christian is, is this one right here. A Christian is a person who has a saved soul living in an unsaved body. That is, we're a person who is saved by the Spirit, by the grace of God. We have the Spirit of God residing in us. When we got saved, the Spirit of God took up His abode in our life. And again, I just want to remind you, you'll never pick up His bags and walk out of your life. Your life, my heart, your heart is not like a hotel with a 12 o'clock checkout time on Sunday afternoon. Aren't you glad He came in and He came in to stay and He'll never walk out. So a Christian is somebody has the Spirit of God living on the inside, but we still haven't lost our nature to sin. Now what that means is we got a battle going on on the inside of us. That's what Paul was talking about back up in Galatians 5 verse 16 when he said this, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he goes on to say the flesh lusteth or warreth or battleth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to the other. Can I have an amen there? Our spiritual nature and our fleshly nature are contrary one to the other. What the Holy Spirit wants for my life and what my natural fleshly desires want for my life are in total opposition. They're totally contrary to each other and Paul reminds us, okay now, walk in, the, walk in the Spirit because if you don't, your flesh, following the flesh, will mess up your life. Can I have an amen? That's the reason we have this list beginning in verse 19. If we follow after the flesh, if we allow the flesh to rule our life, to dominate our life, let me say it like this. If we allow the flesh to call the shots in our life, we're going to wind up in, in, uh, in, in wreckage and ruin. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now we have another list. Adultery, fornication, and he goes all the way down through here. Then he comes to verse 21 and says this, and such like. Paul said, if you follow after the flesh, if you don't walk in the Spirit, if you and I daily don't submit our lives or surrender or yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we're going to live our lives in verse 19, 20, and 21, and you talk about a mess. That's a mess. You talk about drama. That's drama. I call that the fiascos of the flesh. Man, I don't want to live in verse 19. I don't want to live in verse 20. 
I don't want to live in verse 21. I think God's got something better for me than that. And if you'll drop down to verse 22 and verse 22, 23, if we follow after the Holy Spirit, then here's how we'll live our life. Our lives will be characterized by love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. Now, wait a minute. Anybody in their right mind had rather live in verse 22 and verse 23 than they had to live in verse 19, 20, and 21. If you got half sense, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you want for your life. We want the Spirit of God to control our life and to produce within us the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, it's a choice. It all boils down to choices that we make. Every day of our life, we've got to choose to yield ourselves, surrender ourselves to the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if we'll do that, we can have the fruit of the Spirit of God abiding and abounding in our life. Now, I've told you this. I've got to tell you one more time. What we have in verse 22 and 23 is nothing more than just a picture of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit longs to reproduce the life of Christ, the characteristics of Jesus within us. He wants us. And by the way, if you'll read verse 22 and 23, what you have there is nothing more than just a picture of who Jesus was and what Jesus was while he was here on this earth. He was love and joy and peace and so forth all the way down the line. And now we understand that if we follow the Holy Spirit in our life, he will reproduce the life or the characteristics of the Lord Jesus in us. He wants us to be like Christ. By the way, that's what Christian means. The word Christian means to be like Christ, or it means to be a little, a little Christ. I read about this boy one time, and he, he, he was reading his Bible, and he asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, how tall do you think Jesus was? He said, well, son, I don't know, but I'd say probably around six foot tall. He said, well, Daddy, how tall do you think I am? He said, well, I don't know for sure, but I think you probably got four foot tall. That little boy said, all right, then that means this. Since Jesus lives in me, if he's six foot tall and I'm only four foot tall, that means somewhere he's going to be sticking out. And can I tell you something? That's what ought to happen in our lives. Jesus ought to stick out of our lives somewhere. People ought to look at me and you and not see something similar to what they see in the lives of other people in this world. They ought to see somebody that's heading in a different direction, that's marching to the beat of a different drum, that's like a round peg trying to stick in a square hole. They ought to see a difference in our lives. If we yield to the Holy Spirit, then Jesus will be visible in us so that others might see him. That's all it is. It's others seeing him. It's not, hey, we don't want you to come over here to Woodland and see the church. We don't want you to come over here and see the Baptist. We don't want you to come over here and see a preacher or a choir or a singer. We want people to come in here and see Jesus. It is about getting people to see the Lord, but only as you and I surrender our lives on a daily basis, we choose to do that, can Jesus Christ stick out or be visible in our lives. Can I have an amen? So that's our goal. As we set out this week, let's let Jesus stick out. Hey, let's be a representative of the Lord. Let's be a little Christ running around here. Hey, let's be Christ-like. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to make us like Jesus. Now, we're all the way down. If you begin in verse 22, we're all the way down. We pass love. Thank God for love. Joy. Boy, don't we need joy. Peace. Are you kidding me? In this world of tribulation, long-suffering. Oh, we need to suffer long. Gentleness or kindness. Oh, we need to be kind. Then last week, we looked at the word goodness. Oh, don't we need to be good. Amen. But tonight, we come to the word faith.
Now, what does that mean when we're told that one of the fruit, that one of the flavors of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. What does that mean? Well, it might interest you to know that the word faith in Galatians 5.22 is the same word in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. And it says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, say it with me, faithful. Now, the word faith in Galatians 5.22, that the fruit, the flavor of the fruit, the Holy Spirit longs to produce in our life, faith is the same word as faithful. So I'm doing the Scriptures no harm when I say this. The Holy Spirit longs to produce faithfulness in our lives. I think the Holy Spirit wants you and me to be as faithful as the Lord Jesus was. Now, how faithful was he? Well, look at this verse right here. John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus said, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. And then look at this statement. For I do always those things that please him. Now, hold it, leave it up. Let me ask Jesus two questions. Question number one. Jesus, what do you do? Oh, I do those things that please him. Boy, we ought to set about every day of our life trying to do those things that please Him. What do you do? Oh, I try to please Him. Jesus' second question, when do you do it? Always. Faithfulness. Jesus was faithful to do the will of His Father. Jesus said, I always do those things that please Him. And now we understand the Holy Spirit wants to produce within us that same kind of faithfulness where we want to always do those things that please Him. By the way, boy, Jesus was faithful. He really was. Did you know one of the names that Jesus is called by in the Bible is the name Faithful? Look at this verse right here, Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now, this is not the Antichrist. This is the real Christ. This is the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said, and he that sat upon him was called faithful. Hey, Jesus was faithful. By the way, did you know this? God is faithful. What about this great verse, Lamentations 3, 23? Great is thy faithfulness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy... God is faithful. God is faithful and Jesus is faithful. Can I tell you this? I'm going to get to my message in a moment. It's not long. But can I tell you this? You know when you and I are tempted to sin that God is faithful? I mean, when the devil comes along and starts wagging things before our eyes or speaking things into our minds with those fiery darts that he casts into our minds and he's tempting us to sin, can I tell you this? In a time of temptation, God is faithful to us. You say, where do you find that at in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no take, temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Read this with me now. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will also with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can I just stop and say every time that you and I are tempted to sin, God is always faithful to give us a way out. Now the problem is we don't choose the way out all the time. 
The problem is sometimes when we're tempted, we swallow it, hook, line, and sinker, and we go off into some kind of sin. But it's not God's fault. You know why? He's faithful to give us a way out. When we are tempted to sin, God is faithful to give us a way out. But I got some good news for you. Because I know there's people sitting in here this uh, evening and some point or another in your life this week, you were tempted to sin and you didn't choose the faithfulness of God's way out. So you went ahead and bit the bullet and went off into sin. But I got good news for you because God is faithful not only when we're tempted to sin, God is faithful when we're tainted by sin. Let me give you a good verse. Look at this one. If we confess our sins, He, God, is, what's the next word? Hey, he's not just faithful to give us a way out when we're tempted. Thank God he is faithful that he comes to us when we're tainted by our sin because we didn't choose the way out and we become tainted. He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a faithful, faithful God. I'll tell you this, he's more faithful to us than we are to him. But the Holy Spirit longs to produce within us that same kind of faithfulness. So here we go. Just so we're all on the same page, I want to give you a biblical definition of what faithfulness is. So here's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is doing your duty till your duty is done. How do you like them D words? Faithfulness is nothing more than just doing your duty till your duty is done. Can I tell you something? Jesus came into this world, did the will of God, did his duty. He did it till his duty was done. That is faithfulness. Now here's the message that I'm done. Since the Holy Spirit longs to produce that same kind of faithfulness in us, there are three areas you and I need faithfulness in. Number one, we need faithfulness, number one, in the small things of life. Faithfulness in the small things of life. Look at this good verse right here. Luke 16, verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least. So let me say it like this. He that is faithful in that which is least or small is faithful also in that which is large or that which is much. Now let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want God to trust you with the big things, first of all, we've got to prove our faithfulness in the small things. You know, we're interested in the big things. I talk to preachers sometime and they want to pastor a big church. Or they want to, uh, maybe a bus captain wants to have a big bus route. Or a Sunday school teacher wants to have a big class or, or, or whatever. But I want to tell you something, before God's ever going to trust us in them big areas, we've got to prove ourselves faithful in those small areas. Now, we're interested in big things. We are interested. We love big things. But can I tell you truthfully, you know what big things are made up out of? Small things. I mean, you stop and think about it. I was interested this week. You know, China sent that thing up there into space, and then they didn't have any control over it. And so it was going to come back into the atmosphere, and thank God it hit somewhere in the Indian Ocean somewhere. It didn't come down at 144 Foothill Farm Lane in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. I'll tell you what, I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I, I thought, what if that thing crashes through our roof? 
I mean, they had no con they had no clue where that crazy ship, part of that ship, was going to enter back in the atmosphere. But you know, our world's covered by three quarters of water, so it's a pretty good chance it was going to hit in some water somewhere. So I, I thought about the oceans of the world. You know what oceans are? I mean, as vast and as large as the Atlantic Ocean is or the Pacific or the Antarctic or the Indian Ocean or whatever ocean, as large as those bodies of water are, they're just made up of drops of water. Those big oceans are nothing more than just teeny weeny drops of water. Think about time. We talk about time. And sometimes we talk about time is made up of the ages. You ever heard somebody talk about the ages of time? But can I tell you something? Time's just made up of millenniums. Millenniums are made up of centuries. Centuries are made up of decades. Decades are made up of years. Years are made up of months. Months are made up of weeks. Weeks are made up of days. Days are made up of hours. Hours are made up of minutes. And minutes are made up of seconds. And by the way, seconds are made up of milliseconds. The ages of time are just a bunch of little milliseconds strung together. Now, I just want to tell you tonight, we need to be faithful in the small things, pay attention to the little things, and then God can trust us in the big things, the small things. You know, what do we say in life? It's the little things that count. My wife has told me time and time again, she didn't marry me for my looks. Now, I know that surprises you. I get it. But my wife tells me all the time, I didn't marry you for your looks. I married you for your brains. It's the small things that count. And then I say to her, shut up. But the small thing, be, be faithful in the small things. I think about how that's true as we work away our way through the Bible. People that could be trusted in the small things, God elevated them and honored them with the big things. I think about David, King David. David was a, a great leader of the nation of Israel, the world superpower of that day. I mean, man, everybody looked to David. He was a man after God's own heart. He led the nation of Israel. But can I tell you something? Before David ever become the leader of the nation of Israel, he told God, showed God he could be trusted out there watching them few sheep of his daddy with nobody looking around, nobody looking on, but he proved to God that he could be trusted and faithful when nobody else was around. He could be trusted in the small things. And God said, I can let him run the most powerful nation on the earth because he showed me he could be trusted in the small things. Boy, if we just be faithful. By the way, David didn't go out on a whim and conquer Goliath in one day. God just didn't give him the ability and the victory to walk down to the valley of Elah and whoop the fire out of that giant and cut his head off. No, sir. God could see that David could be trusted in the small things when the bear and the lion roared out of the thicket and tried to take one of his father's little sheep off. David could be trusted to fight the bears and the lions so God could trust him to be fighting to fight with the Goliath and give him the victory. He was faithful in the small things. God could trust him in the large things. I think about how that works in reverse. If you can't be trusted in the small things, if you can't be faithful in the small things, you'll never have the big things. I think about old Samson. What a man Samson was. His name means sunshine. Old Sonny. Old Sonny boy. Samson. Samson was born to serve the Lord. 
I mean, when he was born into this world, God told his mom and his daddy, I got a special purpose for that boy. And that old boy began to grow and the Spirit of God began to move upon him. And the Bible said that he was a Nazarite. And one of the things that a Nazarite could never, ever do was touch the carcass of anything that had died. If Samson's little old cat got run over, he'd have to call the neighbors. By the way, what cat don't need to get run over? Can I get a witness? I almost killed myself trying to run out of the road and hit one the other day. I, I try to run over these crazy goose that run around here in this parking lot. I almost, I almost jumped a curb one day and hit a tree trying to kill one of them crazy things. I'm going to kill myself trying to kill them. <laughs> Whatever. Samson couldn't touch anything that had died. Whatever was dead, if he touched it, he would lose his Nazarite vow. And then you remember the story how that one day he's walking through a vineyard. This lion roars against him. The Spirit of God comes on Samson's life and picks that lion up and he breaks it in two and discards it over in the bushes. Several days later when he's walking back through there, he pulls the bushes back and inside the carcass of that hollowed out lion is a swarm of bees and honey is oozing out of the carcass of the lion. Samson must have been tempted by that honey, but he knows if he touches the carcass of that lion, he will defile his Nazarite vow. And sure enough, Samson reached in, got him some honey, but in so doing, in just that small thing, that little thing, touching the carcass of that lion, it cost Samson his life. His life spins out of control from that point forward. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't be trusted in the small things, God can never trust you in the big things. We've got to be faithful in the small things of life. I'll tell you what's the truth. We need to be faithful in the small things. What about reading your Bible every day? Amen. Hey, if God, if you can't be faithful in your Bible reading every day, God's never going to trust you in some big thing. What about your prayer life? If you can't be faithful to pray every day, what about tithing? I've been talking about that. What about tithing? A small thing. What about witnessing for God? What about doing what's right? Those may be the smaller things, but I'm here to tell you, if we would pay attention and be faithful in the small things, we wouldn't have to wind up in our life being in a mess because we got involved in some big things. Amen. Watch the small things. It's the little foxes that destroy the vines. Amos 5.19 is as if a man did run from a lion and a bear met him. Or he gets away from the bear and he goes into his house and leans his hand on the wall and a snake bites him. But he, we can get away from the lions and the bears, but it's those little things. If we're not faithful in the little things, we'll never, ever be trusted in the big thing. I'm saying this. I said all I'd say this. Be faithful in the small things of life. If you'll be faithful with your thought life, if you'll be faithful in the small things, what you watch when nobody's around, what you listen to uh, when nobody's around, what you look at when nobody, be faithful in the small things, and God can and will honor you in the big things. Be faithful in the small things. Number two, be faithful in the secret things. In the secret things. Boy, I preached a lot about this lately. Evidently, something's going on and I don't know it. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but I just want to talk about your secret life for just a minute. We all got one. I like what Mark Twain said one time. Mark Twain said, man is like the moon. He has a dark side. I know something about every one of us, including myself in this room. We got a dark side. We really do. And I tell you what, we got to be faithful to God in that dark side. 
That side that nobody ever sees. That side that nobody else will ever know. That side that's in secret. But can I tell you something? God sees and God knows. And I'm just trying to say if God's going to ever trust us in something big, we're going to have to prove our faithfulness even in the secret things of our lives. Over in Matthew chapter 6, and by the way, I think we read this, I counted it, but we read it three times in that one chapter, but we're told this in Matthew 6, three different times. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now he's talking about praying and tithing and fasting, and I get all that. But a principle is laid down there that if we'll be faithful to God in the secret, God will reward us in the open. God will reward us in, in the public if you and I will be faithful to God in the private. Now this stuff's killing us, and you know it is. People getting caught up. Don't be mad at me, but it's a burr under my saddle right now. This crowd getting caught up in all this pornography. And I'm talking about mostly about men that gets caught up in pornography in our churches today because they got such easy access to it on their cell phones. And I mean, they guard that thing with their crazy life. They don't want, they don't want their wife to grab it. I, I told you last Sunday, I guess it was, that even when they walk in the shower, they'll put it, bless God, in a hefty trash bag to keep it from getting wet and carry it with them in, in the shower because they don't want to leave it laying around where somebody can find the garbage and the junk they got on their phone. Thy Father which seeth in secret, secret things, and he'll reward us openly. You say, preacher, won't you get off that? Won't you quit looking at it? I promise you, when you quit looking at it, I'll quit preaching on it. Amen. Secret things. Things that are destroying our lives, destroying our families, demeaning to our wives, ruining and quenching and grieving the Spirit of God. Hey, I'm telling you, we've got to get back to God, being faithful to God, even when it comes to the secret things. Nobody sees, nobody knows, but God seeth in secret. I read this week about old Michelangelo. He was painting, that famous painting in the Sistine Chapel. And uh, this man walks in, and uh, he was painting back over in a corner behind a beam, laying back down on a scaffold, painting in a corner behind a beam. And this guy walks in and says, why are you giving such attention to that? Nobody will ever see that in that corner behind that beam. Why are you taking such pains with that in a place nobody will ever see? And he answered and said, I'll see, and most importantly, God will see. I'm telling you what you and I do in a corner behind a beam, God sees. I see it, and God sees it. I know some of y'all that work in these businesses, and you have to travel off for business and stay in these motels. I get all that. Sometimes I go preach, and uh, I, I try to drive back and forward if I can, but sometimes when I go off preach in these motels, I have made, and I've told my wife this, I've just made up my mind that when I go into these motels, I'm not even going to cut the TV on no more. And I don't, man. I, sometimes if I stay all week, I go all week without even watching TV. And, uh, and I don't, and I'm not any more spiritual than anybody else. But man, I ain't going to give the devil an opportunity to work in my mind. He works in my mind enough already. I sure don't want to open up a, a, just a, a, a fresh avenue for him to work in my mind. I don't want to do that. 
Some of y'all go off to these conventions and you have to go off to these business meetings and stay in these motels or go to these big convention civic centers and nobody's there and probably the devil jumps up on your shoulder and says, hey, nobody will ever know. Go ahead and indulge yourself. Take you a little sip of wine. Go ahead and drink you a mixed beverage or whatever. But I just want to tell you, no, sir, it, it may not, I may not never catch it, may never know about it. Hope I don't. Nobody in this church may ever know about it, but I promise you this, you'll know and God will know and God will never trust us in the big things if we can't prove our faithfulness in the secret things. He'll never reward us openly until he can trust us privately. Amen, preacher. Faithfulness in small things. Faithfulness in secret things. Number three, faithfulness in sacred things. Can I tell you, I know it's hard to live for God. It ain't no cakewalk trying to live for God. It's a fight. It's a battle. And we have to fight to stay right. Some of the greatest advice that I can give us all in these last days is two things. Stay close and stay clean. Stay close and stay clean. Say that with me. Stay and stay. Stay. Now, let, let's, let's reverse it. Stay clean and stay close. And I'm telling you something, if we don't purpose in our minds to do that, we're going to mess up our lives. But it's a fight to stay close. It is a fight to stay clean. But it's a good fight. And if I ever want God to bless me in the public, I'm going to have to be faithful in the private. If I want God to bless me in the big things, I'm going to have to stay faithful in the small things. I cannot go around and do whatever I want to do just because nobody will ever see and, and expect God to bless my life. I'd rather have the blessings of God on my life, and I mean this. I'd rather have the blessings of God on my life than to have all that garbage this world has to offer us today. I really had. And by the way, can I say this? And the Lord's listening. But if I'm ever going to get caught up in that garbage, I'd just soon for the Lord to take me on to heaven and get me out of here before I bring reproach to my precious wife and my precious family and bring reproach to Jesus and bring reproach upon our church. I just wish he'd carry me on out of here if I'm going to mess up and something like that. I don't want to do it, folks. It ain't that I'm some spiritual superman. I ain't no super spiritual superman. I'm a weak Clark Kent. But I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. You know, as an illustration of faithfulness and I'm done, think about the man who wrote this text, verse 22 and verse 23. Think about him. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. You remember his closing words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he said this, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Now, he writes those words, and just a few minutes, a guard comes down to where he's at, takes him out of that dark dungeon, damp dungeon, leads him out into the courtyard, lays his head down on the guillotine, and just a moment's notice, the blade falls and cuts Paul's head off. And in a moment, in an instance, he's standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, from the record of things that he said about himself throughout his writings, we know that Paul wasn't a big man. We know that Paul wasn't a strong man. We know that Paul wasn't a good-looking man. We know he didn't have a good voice. We know he didn't see very well. We even know from some of the things that he said that he didn't have much of a personality. I mean, he was just 
average. And yet, in the presence of Jesus, he hears these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, how could a man who doesn't look good, doesn't speak good, really doesn't have a good personality, can't see very well? I mean, how, how does a man like that hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? I'll tell you how. He was faithful to the fight. He was faithful to the faith. He was faithful to the finish. And if you and I want to hear those words, we're going to have to be faithful to the fight, faithful to the faith, and faithful to the finish. Because if there's one thing any of us can do, we can do our duty till our duty is done. Part of that duty is me showing up at church. Amen. Part of that duty is just doing what I'm supposed to do as a child of God. And the Holy Spirit wants to make us faithful. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray you'd speak.